Hey, happy holidays. Whatever you're celebrating and however you're doing it, I hope it's been fun and relaxing so far. This is our very last show of 2022. We will be back in the new year with plenty of news to cover. But today, I want to take a break from all that and talk about something that can be sort of an escape from the constant news cycle. I know it is for me, at least. I'm talking about movies. Then you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? I can't swim! Earlier this year, CNN Films teamed up with HBO Max on The Last Movie Stars, a documentary about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Why are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. Paul Newman, of course, was a legendary actor and director. You know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Cool Hand Luke, The Hustler. He was also a race car driver and founded the Newman's own salad dressing slash charity empire. Yeah, there's some things you never forget, Ruth. Just little moments you never forget. In your whole life, you never He was married to Joanne Woodward, who, admittedly, I did not know much about before watching this documentary, but she was an accomplished actor in her own right. This year's Golden Globe goes to Joanne Woodward for Rachel Rachel. And together, they formed a Hollywood power couple that has stood the test of time. My guest this week is the director of The Last Movie Stars, Ethan Hawke. You probably know him from his work as an actor in movies like Dead Poets Society or Training Day. We talk about what inspired him to make The Last Movie Stars, what we can learn from past generations, and how streaming has changed Hollywood. From CNN, this is One Thing. I'm David Ryan. Ethan Hawke, welcome to One Thing. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. So what initially drew you to the story of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward? Well, good question. Um, put simply, their youngest daughter, got my number and called me up on the phone and said, hey, I feel like somebody should make a documentary about mom and dad, and I think it should be you. And I was kind of gobsmacked, and I started thinking about what they meant to me when I first arrived in New York and was an acting student, and I would see them around at various events. She was teaching acting. She was, she was always present at every theater opening, and sometimes he'd be there. But they lived in the oh, you know, the atmosphere of what it meant if you were dreaming about a meaningful, substantive life in the arts, they were an example of what it could be. They were just dedicated professionals. And so whenever you think it can't be done, you would think of Paul and Joanne. And I, I asked the kids, I said, listen, is, this, is the making of this documentary going to depress me? Are, are, are they not who right. I think they Don't are? Don't meet your heroes, that kind of thing. Yeah, they said, if you tell the truth, I, I imagine they'll be much better than you think. And um, I, uh, I was very encouraged by that. Hmm. As an audio guy myself, I'm kind of fascinated with the idea of these, these lost audio tapes being kind of the basis for building this story on the screen. What was kind of your thought process in presenting the content in the way that you did? Well, at first it was utter dismay. You know, I was told... He, you know, that he was writing this memoir, but the uh, audio files have been burned and they gave me this giant box of transcripts. And I was like, well, fat lot of good. These are going to do me. What am I going to do? Film these transcripts? Like, and I, I was bummed about it. And then all of a sudden I realized, well, I'm making a movie about two actors. This is going to be a giant meditation on acting. This is a blessing. Oh, I'm trying to remember where it is that you go into. Okay, go to the audio options. 
I could get people to perform them. Sammy Rockwell's going to read the director of Cool Hand Luke. Laura Linney's going to do Joanne Woodward. And in the same way that you can't tell the story of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward without telling the story of their generation, they don't exist in a vacuum. You, to tell their story, you have to know who Sidney Poitier is. To tell their story, you have to know who Barbara Streisand is. You have to know who Kazan is, who Tennessee Williams is. You have, you know... We exist in relationship to our generation and the one above us and the one below us. And likewise, in a way, I can't tell this story. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was our generation looking back on the one before us? Josh Hamilton is going to read the director of The Sting. Vincent D'Onofrio is going to do John Huston. George Clooney agreed to read Paul. So I just started calling friends. And you know, look, that's where the pandemic was a piece of good fortune, which is that everybody was a little bored. That's Rosie, my uh, St. Bernard puppy. That's what you do in uh, in lockdown, I guess. <laughs> so they said yes, and they would read these transcripts for me, and I started just editing together. And I found it more interesting. It was kind of really interesting to hear Billy Crudup's take on this, or Rockwell's take on this, or Latonya Jackson's take on this, or, you know, different people. They informed me about how to think about that generation. And to the casting point, you know, George Clooney did the voice of, of Paul Newman. Was that kind of intentional? Because I, I think, you know, people who kind of watch George Clooney in his, in his movies can kind of maybe see him as a Paul Newman type of presence on screen. Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, there's very few people who have that level of sustained excellence in the highest, you know, whatever you call that. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a bona fide movie star. One thing that I admire, the thing that I recognize is excellence. And he understands what that kind of isolation feels like firsthand. He's put himself out there politically and philanthropically. I recognize it in almost anything, plumbers, museum guides. He's had his life dissected and have fictional narratives made about it. And I felt like he would have some insight into what Paul's experience might be. And unless I have it for myself, I'm not gonna be satisfied. And I'm curious about movies and movie stars as we know them today. And obviously the industry is, is kind of in a much different place. Gore Vidal called Newman and Woodward the last movie stars, hence the name of the series. Do you believe that, that they were the last true movie stars that Hollywood had? Well, what he's saying is they were the last ones who were brought up the same way the first ones were. Hmm. Like Catherine Hepburn or something. They, they, they came up th through the acting class and through the studio ranks and they were mentored a certain way uh, before commercial industry kind of usurped the art form so completely. Um, that's what he means. I believe that in a certain way of thinking, every generation is the last of one thing and the first of another. Because you could also just as easily say Paul and Joanne were part of the the new guard, you know, when what, what made this documentary so easy to make is their whole lives were covered. Talking with the, the, the Newmans. Oh, I almost said the Woodwards. It'll help me an awful lot if you do that, quite a bit. I mean, I've got interviews on this show and that show, and this event is being filmed. How different is it for a woman to bring up a child she is not born compared with one she has? I mean, I have three who aren't mine. I, I don't have them, but I have been blessed with them for many, many years. And I have three that are that I bore. 
I could not in any way say that I love one more than the other. You know, the reason why images of Brando and Marilyn Monroe and James Dean and Paul Newman are all over, it was the um, explosion of photography and of the deification of the celebrity and it became an international thing. So in a way, they were the first. In a way, they were the last. I could make a case to be made that George Clooney's the last movie star. Mm. It's it's mostly just a, a title to get your brain thinking about time and who's first and who's last. Yeah, and, and speaking of kind of that the passing off of generations, your your daughter Maya also appears in the film, and she has a burgeoning career of her own as an actor and as a musician. Did she gain in any kind of perspective, and and do you see her place and her career any differently after exploring how Newman and Woodward kind of came up and, and carved their own path as well? Yeah, I mean, part of why I I leaned on her so much about the making of this is. I was constantly sending cuts to Maya and my mother um, because my mother grew up with Paul Newman and Maya didn't, hadn't really heard of Paul and Joanne. Not really. You know, so I was, I was trying to make a movie, a documentary that would speak to both those generations, um, that would scratch the itch of nostalgia for the generation that grew up with them and introduce in an exciting, revelatory way to young people. But yeah, I mean, think about this. Joanne Woodward never worked with a female director besides herself. Paul Newman never worked with a female director. Maya, like half of her directors have been women. Um, The industry Hmm. is changing and there's a lot of ways in which it's changing powerfully for the better. There's a lot of new voices being heard and a lot of people are being invited to speak their mind that that weren't invited when I, I was young. And that's that's a great, magnificent thing. It's cheaper to get a movie made or to make record an album than it's ever been. You have no permission not to be creative anymore. The problem is it's very hard to get anybody to listen or watch your movie because there's so much, you know, the internet is exploding. It's very hard to carve a space for yourself. So it's, it's always moving. The target, I mean. Are you optimistic about the future of Hollywood and kind of the future of movies? It seems like every other day I hear people saying, oh, the movie theater is dead. The the movie as we know it is dead. How do you kind of gauge that conversation as you're trying to stay creative and, and make stuff? Well, I mean, you know, people tell you God is dead, you know, but people <laughs> people are primarily idiots, you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, everybody's worried about change all the time. I got a chance to work with... Um, Sidney Lamette with one of my friends, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman and I arrived in New York around the same time, and we got this chance to work with Sidney, and we were complaining about the way the industry is changing, and he, he, he just said to us, you're just getting older, boys, and if you live long enough, you start to realize that it's always changing. You know, live TV was the thing. Then live TV was a dinosaur, and cinema became the thing, and then it was TV again, and uh, the audiences are always going to have a need for good storytelling. And there's always going to be a place for literature, and there's always going to be a place for theater, and there's always going to be a place for rock and roll. And it's just how we receive it is changing. So the the industry, the way that money changes hands, is always changing and making financiers and everything deeply uncomfortable. But for the artistic community, 
you know, the truth is the truth is the truth. I mean, you just got to sing your song and, and let time and everybody else figure out what to do with it. It seems like you, you've kind of embraced streaming for a while now, you know, in terms of uh, Moon Knight on Disney Plus and on Netflix with the Knives Out sequel. Was that something in your head that, that you thought about it or was it just this is a cool project, I want to do it, and whoever sees it, that's great? Well, for me, it all started with The Good Lord Bird, which was a limited series I did for Showtime on James McBride's novel, The Good Lord Bird. And it was a book that I just thought was staggeringly brilliant and a book that I want, you know, it was one of those, you read a book, and you're like, I want to give everyone I know this book for Christmas. It's so funny. It's so profound. Um, and my wife said, like, look, let's make it into a movie. And I was like, no, you can't make it into a movie because the book is too big. It's too good. If you make it a movie, it just has to be Harper's Ferry or something. And she was like, listen, you're, you're, you're showing your age. This is what the limited series can do well. If we make this a limited series, we could do the whole book. And that really turned my brain on. It was the first time I realized that the canvas changing its size was, had, had magnificent possibilities. Uh, and so that experience of making the good Lord bird was thrilling to me. And then it opened my brain and then I was like, all right, yeah, let's try moon Knight. Let's try it. Like, this is a cool, this is a new stage I've never been on. Last question. Is there a director, actor, specific movie that's been really exciting you these days? Like what should our listeners who are into movies be paying attention to? You know, I would venture to say, I've heard somebody smart say this, is that we all have comfort food. You know, like yeah. sometimes I meet friends of mine and we're all still listening to the same music we listened to when we were 20, when we first <laughs> discovered music. And it's such a thrill to just bend your brain a little bit to seek some new music, to seek something outside the, the envelope of what's being advertised to you. You know, I, I saw a triangle of sadness the other day. I thought it was brilliant. I, I thought it was, it was interesting to see a farce, um, to see something that is so funny and so uh, volatile at the same time. I, I, I admired that. But really, one of the things as a person making movies is that the movies audiences get are only as good as the ones audiences demand. If audiences don't go see One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, movies like that don't get made. If all we do is go watch what's most advertised to us, the, the whole conversation just gets a little stagnant, you know? And so I would advise people, whenever they have a chance to push the envelope of their, of their brain, just watch something they haven't watched. See if they like it. Hmm. That's good advice. Well, The Last Movie Stars is uh, streaming now on HBO Max. Ethan Hawke, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Bez Jamil is our senior producer. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer. And Abby Fentress Swanson is the executive producer of CNN Audio. Special thanks this week to Jennifer Dargan and Scott Radloff. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the last few days of 2022. We'll be back in 2023 with a new episode. Talk to you then. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. 
And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 